Trinity Baptist Church, a community growing in faith, obedience, and joy. Some of my earliest memories are watching VeggieTales in the nursery, performing in the Christmas pageant, and competing for lava lamps at GodQuest auctions. Then I never questioned Christianity as part of my life. Sunday school was fun, learning Bible verses got me free stuff, and Jesus was a cool friend I could talk to when I was scared. As I got older, things weren't as straightforward. Cartoons made fewer appearances in church, and getting up in the morning seemed a little harder. When I hit high school, all this really changed. My church bubble was gone, and I faced peers and teachers who questioned the intelligence of Christians, while dozens of new activities competed for my time. However, even as it became harder to spend daily time in the Word, and many of my peers stepped away from their faith, my knowledge of Christ, built up slowly week by week, was with me even when it was impractical to bring a Bible to school, and stayed a source of rest and reassurance as I functioned as a Christian out in the world for the first time. Now as I prepare to leave home altogether this fall, I do so secure in my faith, backed up by years of Bible memorization and Sunday sermons, ready to face all the new life experiences with Jesus by my side. My name is Karen Queener, and I am a follower of Jesus Christ. Hebrews six thirteen to 20 When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. People swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that, by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain, where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Karin. So as um, Janet said earlier, Karen is heading to Michigan, and um, so and so just for if you know Michigan, the the rival is Ohio State, and and Ross Karen's dad went to Ohio State. So all I can say is Thanksgiving Saturday, go blue, go blue. Um, if, you are, if you're visiting with us this morning, we're thrilled that you're here. My name is Keith, and I am uh, the lead pastor. What we, what we do quite frequently to begin this message time is we do what we call small group conversations. And the intent behind that is to get you thinking about um, the, the main point that we're going to be talking about in this message. So we're going to do that this morning. We haven't done it for a few weeks. I'd like for you to, to, you know, turn to two or three people around you, introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Keith. Let them know how long you've been at Trinity. Could be your first day here. It could be, you know, you've been here forever like I have. Um, And then I want you to answer this question. We all go through difficult seasons. We all have tough times in our lives. And so when you are in a tough time, when you are going through a difficult season, what is one thing that you do to help get you through that season? What is one thing that you do 
that helps you to keep going. All right? So turn, and I'll give you a couple minutes to, to do that. I'm not going to ask anybody to share what they do. But we all have what you might call a coping techniques or, or I don't know what else you would call it, but, but we do things or we think about things that, that help us to move through difficult times in our lives. And what I'd like for us to consider this morning is, is what the book of Hebrews has to say about how, how we can navigate these difficult seasons. If you've, if you've been with us through this series, this is our, um, we've been looking at this letter called, the, called Hebrews for the last seven weeks, and it was written to a group of, of Jewish Jesus followers who were, who, who were settling for less than what God has for them. They, they were settling for good enough. When what God wants is for us to, to experience the abundant life. He wants us to experience the fullness of life. And so this author writes his friends and says, look, you're, you're, you're just settling for good enough when, when you can have the best. And he keeps pointing them to Jesus and keeps pointing them to the life that they could have in Christ. And evidently, they, they're struggling with this. And so what he does in, in chapter 6 is he gives them some encouragement. There's a, a Chinese proverb that goes like this. There is a man who does not know, but thinks that he knows. That man is deceived. Avoid him. There is a man who does not know and knows that he does not know. That man is willing to be taught. Teach him. There is a man who does not know. Uh, there is a man who does not know and does not know that he does not know. That man is blind. Enlighten him. That would be me. There is a man who knows, but does not know that he knows. That man is unsure and wavering. Encourage him. There is a man who knows, and knows that he knows. That man is marked follow him. Last week when we looked at, at he, the first part of Hebrews 6, verse 12 talks about the man, uh, the kind of person that we are to imitate, that we are to follow. And said so we're not to be lazy, but we're to be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. Um, Essentially, what, what Hebrews 6.12 is saying, you need to imitate, you need to, to follow people who know and they know that they know. And then the, the author gives his readers, gives us the example of Abraham. Because Abraham was a man who, who was faithful in the midst of very difficult circumstances. Because Abraham knew, and he knew that he knew. And that, was, that enabled him to move through. So Hebrews 
chapter 6, verse 13. It says, when God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. Now, for those of you who are maybe not so familiar with the Bible, let me give you a little background. The first book of the Bible is, is the book of Genesis, and it is the story of how the people of God came to be, the nation of Israel. And, and Israel was to be the, a people who represented God to the rest of the world. And it began with a man by the name of Abram, later to be called Abraham. Abram uh, was called by God to leave his home in the Ur of the Chaldees and then to go to a land that God would, would give to him. And God said to him, look, I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to give you many descendants and, and the nations of the world will be blessed through you. So God gives Abraham this, this huge promise. Abraham is obedient. He leaves Ur of the Chaldees and he, he goes, but he has no son. He, there's no heir. There's nobody through whom descendants would come. So he waits and he waits. 25 years later, in Genesis chapter 21, God gives him Isaac, who is the, the son of promise through whom the, you know, the descendants of Abraham would come. But then an interesting thing happens. A few years later, and this is recorded in Genesis chapter 22, God calls Abraham to go and sacrifice his only son, Isaac, on an altar. Now, I don't know about you, but if, if I'm in Abraham's position at that point, I'm saying, excuse me. Um, God, I appreciate the promises and the blessing and all that stuff and the, you know, the, the land and we're going there and the, you know, and, and, and the, every nation will be blessed through me. But this thing about the descendants, um, I got one son and you're asking me to sacrifice that son. Do you see a problem here? But Abraham doesn't do that. Abraham is just obedient. He stays faithful to what God has called him to. Now, it may seem kind of barbaric that God would ask Abraham to do this, but Scripture tells us that this was to test Abraham to see if he was truly a man of faith. And as Hebrews 11 says, By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead, and so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. You see, Abraham demonstrated his faith, and, and at this point, after God stopped him from sacrificing his son, it was at this point that that God made an oath to Abraham in Genesis 22. He said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, 
that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, or as some translations put it, through your seed, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. God promises that through Abraham's offspring, through his seed, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. So what does it mean that that it's, God's going to bless the nations through this offspring, through this seed? Well, one of the great things about Scripture is that often when you're reading in the Old Testament and you come across something that you don't quite understand, often the New Testament will interpret it for you. It'll let you know, and that's the case here. In Galatians chapter 3, here's what the Apostle Paul had to say about Abraham's offspring. Verse 16, the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. Paul tells us, that the promise of blessing was not going to come from the many people in the Jewish nation, but it was going to come from one person in the Jewish nation, namely Jesus. How would it come through Jesus? Well, Jesus was God incarnate. He, he, he lived a perfect life so that he could be the perfect sacrifice, and he laid his life down on a cross so that he might offer salvation to all of the nations through him. So after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. Now you might be thinking, but wait a minute. When Jesus came, Abraham was dead. How did he receive the promise? Well, he received it by faith. Hebrews 11 says, All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. They were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. You see... Abraham didn't receive the promise in his lifetime because it wasn't a temporal promise. It was an eternal promise. And he lived his life accordingly until he died. And you know why? Because he knew, and he knew that he knew. He knew that God would be true to his promise. And 2,000 years beyond the grave, he saw the promise fulfilled in Jesus and received it. Friends, that is patience, that is faithfulness, and that is the perspective that we need to have in order to get us through difficult times. Abraham had the promise of God. He had watched God be faithful over and over and over, and so when God asked him to sacrifice his son, as as Hebrews said, he reasoned, he said, well, okay, so God has promised that he's going to give me many descendants. And he's promised that he's going to bless the world 
through my offspring. And so if God has promised that, then God will be faithful to that. And therefore, he's probably going to raise my son from the dead. You see, Abraham knew, and he knew that he knew. The way that we can step into the fullness of life and be faithful to the death, even as Abraham was, is like Abraham, we have been given an oath by God. God has given you an oath, and God will be true to his word. Here's what the author of Hebrews says. Verse 16. People swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what what is said and puts an end to all argument. You've, you've heard people say this. Maybe you've even said it yourself. There will be some dispute going on. People will be, you know, saying, well, that's not true. I don't believe that. And someone will say, I swear to God that's true. Have you heard people say that? Yeah. Um, because, because they want to give weight to what they're saying. And so they swear to God. When, you, um, when you're in a courtroom, used to you had to place your left hand on a Bible. Now you don't have to do that. But you raise your right hand and you say, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help me. God, I swear to God I'm telling the truth. And we do that because it, it gives weight to the oath. And if, you, and if you tell a lie, then you're guilty of perjury because you have, you have broken an oath in the name of God. God said, I swear by myself. You remember that old movie with George Burns called Oh God, where he's in the courtroom and he said, I, tell, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help me, me. Remember that? I don't know where that came Anyway. Um, God, God lowers himself to this human convention so that we can rely on the integrity of his word, of his promise. Question, why does God give a promise? Is it to bind God to a certain um, action? No. God is God. And God will do what God will do because his ways are perfect. Now, God gives a promise not to bind him to an action, but to give us assurance. God wants to assure us that his purpose will hold true. He wants to give us an anchor to hold on to. Verse 17, because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. Here's what, here's what we need to hear in this. God does not want you to be in doubt with regard to your eternal destiny. Do you know that? God does not want you questioning that. I've, I hear people say, man, you know, if I get to heaven, you know, I hope I make it there. As if somehow that, um, you know, saying that you're going to make it to heaven is, is 
being presumptuous on God. Here's the thing. If I'm trusting in me to get to heaven, I don't need to question whether I'm going to get there or not. I won't get there. I will never be good enough. But if I am trusting in the promise of God made through Jesus and demonstrated at the cross that if I put my faith in him, then I receive eternal life. If I'm trusting in that, it is not presumptuous for me to say, I'm going to be there. Because God has made a promise and I have trusted in that promise and God will be true to his word and therefore I know that I'm there. I can, I can stand on that securely. God does not want us to live in doubt. He wants to make it very clear to the heirs what was promised. Who are the heirs of the promise? Well, Galatians 3 again tells us, verse 6. So also Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith." You see, those who have faith in Jesus are heirs of the promise. God's eternal purpose is to take a bunch of sinners like me and to call them to himself, to to save them, to... Um, redeem them, to, to work through them, and then ultimately to bring them to glory so that he will be glorified. And there will be a day when all of those who, who have put their faith in Jesus will be standing in glory, and the angels will, will be standing around with, you know, shaking their head, with their hand on their hip, and saying, man, God is a great God. I mean, if he can save somebody like Keith Boyd, he is an amazing God. God be glorified. I mean, that's God's purpose. How can I be certain that God will do that? The text says that to show me the unchanging nature of his purpose He confirmed it with an oath. God put himself on record. When God made a promise to Abraham, he put himself on record and he said, Abraham, you can hold me on this. When God made a purpose, when God spoke to us through his word, he communicated who he is, who I am, how I got here, how I can come to know him. He has communicated the truth of who he is and what eternity looks like. And he has said, and you can hold me to this. Why did he make an oath? Verse 18. 
God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. What are the two unchangeable things? God's eternal purpose and God's eternal word. Those two things are unchangeable. He did this so that we may be greatly encouraged. Friends, he made an oath to us, not for his sake, but for our sake. And so when we're going through tough times, we can go back and we can say, yeah, but God said. Verse 19. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. You see what he did? He communicated his eternal purpose through his eternal word, neither of which changed so that we can have this firm and secure anchor to hold on to, that we might rest and remain faithful even as Abraham was faithful. You know, I, I imagine that when, when Abraham died, people stood over his coffin and they looked in and they said, you know, I really liked old Abe. He was a good guy, sharp guy, until he started listening to those voices. You know, when he, he kind of went off the deep end when he, you know, left his home and, and started, you know, looking for that land, whatever that was. And, um, yeah, he, he kind of lost it there at the end. He didn't lose it. He knew exactly what he was doing. Abraham died with a great big smile on his face because he knew, and he knew that he knew. He knew what they didn't, that through him all the nations of the earth would be blessed and that he was saved by grace through faith. And the same thing will be true of you. If you know the Savior, follow the Savior, when things are, are difficult, you're going to do things that confound the world because you know how the book ends. And here's a spoiler alert. We win. That's how the book ends. We win. I was meeting with my small group this week and and we were talking about some of the uncertainties of life and, and, and some of the, the struggles that we were having. And, and one guy was talking about finances and somebody else was talking about relationships. And, and, and you know, some, some of us, somebody was talking about health issues. And, and so we're, we're wrestling with these, these uncertainties, the things that we struggle with. And Fred Atkins was at at our group this week, and, and many of you know Fred. And Fred, and, and I'm not going to quote you, but I'm going give, to give some semblance. I can't remember exactly what he said, but Fred said, um, you know, there are a lot of uncertainties. But I'm grateful for what I'm certain of. I'm grateful that I have a God who loves me, who sent his son to die for me. And I'm grateful for all the blessings that God has put in my life. You see, essentially what Fred was saying is, 
I know that I know. And friends, that, friends, that's where we can live. Fred is anchored. God has given us two unchangeable things so that we can know that we know. So that we might be anchored and thus live in the fullness of life that God has for us, even when times are tough. He has given us his eternal purpose and his eternal word, and he has confirmed them both with an oath. And just to make sure we understand how firm and secure our anchor is, the author goes on in verses 19 and 20 to give us the specifics of our anchor. Verse 19. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. Within the temple of God in the Old Testament, there was a a 10 by 10 cubicle that was this inner sanctuary that was um, separated from the rest of the temple by, by this veil. And not anybody could go in there. Only one person, the high priest, could go in, and he could only go in once a year to offer sacrifice for the people. And the high priest had to be really certain that he was in right standing with God before he went in, because if he wasn't in right standing with God, then he would die. In fact, if you read through the Old Testament, what they would do is they would tie a rope around the ankle of the high priest, just in case he went in and he died, they could drag him out because nobody else wanted to go in there. But if you had a high priest that was in right standing with God, they could go into the presence of God and represent the people before God. And what Hebrews 6 is telling us is that we have a hope, we have an anchor that enters within the veil on our behalf. And his name is Jesus Christ. And he stood in the presence of God. When Jesus died and ascended and went to glory after his resurrection, he walked right into the presence of God. And friends, he didn't go in claiming a promise. He didn't go in on somebody else's righteousness. He didn't even enter by faith. Jesus went in to the presence of God on the beauty and integrity and perfection of his character. And when he walked in, God saw him and saw this true divine righteousness. And he said to Jesus, sit at my right hand. You see, when Jesus walked into the presence of God, who is a consuming fire, he said, hello, dad. And the father said, hello, son. Take a seat. And Jesus sat down in the presence of his Father. Because it was finished on our behalf. Friends, you want security? You've got an anchor in the person of Jesus Christ who was able to sit at the right hand of the eternal judge without condemnation. Our hope is not simply in a purpose or a promise. Our hope is in a person who sits in the presence of God. 
And as verse 20 says, he has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And we've talked about Melchizedek for the last couple of couple of weeks. What that means simply is that Jesus is going to be in the presence of the Father forever and forever and forever. He will not die. He will not leave. He will stay there on our behalf. I am trusting in Jesus Christ and he is within the veil. My anchor holds. I am secure. Jesus Christ is the anchor of our soul. What is an anchor? It is something that will not move. It is deep. It is below the surface. When when things on the surface are swaying back and forth, when the, the seas are rough, you can put an anchor down that will secure you. Financially, we can be shaken. We may not know how ends are going to meet. Emotionally, we can, we can be distraught. Physically, we may be sick. Relationally, we may have problems. The ship can sway and toss to and fro. But on the essential issue of life, I know and I know that I know that it has been settled in the cross of Jesus Christ, and my anchor holds. When I was in seminary, uh, I had opportunity to, to crew on a, on a 48-foot uh, sailboat uh, for, for several races, and, and Ted's a sailor, and, and Fred's a sailor, and so any, any of you who know this world know this, but... Um, the guy that that I sailed for was a, a big time sailor, and he was telling me at one time about this trip when he he sailed his boat down from Bar Harbor, Maine, to Marblehead, Massachusetts, and it was about a, a three day sail. and um, And in the midst of the sail, the this huge storm arose where the waves are crashing over the sides and and the boats, you know, going over. So he furls the sail and he and he drops anchor. And then he, he looks to land, to shore, to pick out a landmark that he can clearly identify. And then he goes below decks and he starts doing some other things. And the ship's still tossing and, and going crazy. But about 30 minutes later, he comes back and he looks to shore to see if the landmark that he identified was in the same place. And it was. And so you know what he did next? He went um, down into the cabin and he took a nap. Because no matter how rough the seas were, no matter how stormy life was, he could rest because he knew his anchor holds. He was firm and secure. Friends, that's the way that we can be. Because the essential question of life has been settled in Jesus. I don't know what you may be wrestling with this morning. I don't know what uncertainties may be looming in your life. I know what they are in mine. But here's what I know. And I know that I know. 
God's purpose will not fail. God's word will not fail. And Jesus has gone within the veil on my behalf. And because, like Abraham, I have put my trust in him, I am anchored. And I can rest. I can have peace and I can have courage to press on through the hard and uncertain times because I know with certainty that Jesus is my anchor and my anchor holds. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, I'm grateful for your love in our lives. I'm grateful that you have gone through the veil on our behalf and that you have, you have sat down at the right hand of the Father because it's done. And it's not presumptuous for me to know that someday I will be with you because you have promised that I will. And you have demonstrated it with your life. And so, Lord, I pray for all of us who are in uncertain times, who are in difficult times. I pray, Lord, that you will give us the certainty that our anchor holds. And no matter what life throws at us, we can rest in you. And, Lord, I pray for anyone here this morning who who maybe hasn't come to that place of of surrender I pray that that today might be the, the day where they stop settling for good enough but they take hold of the fullness of life that you have for them and they say, I, I just, I put my trust in Jesus that he has by his death on the cross stepped into the presence of God on my behalf and I receive that forgiveness. And Lord Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I want you to be my anchor. You can step into that place today. In Jesus' name.